Wow. That's powerful. That's how we show the gospel and apply the gospel to our lives and be a witness to those around us and forgive those who have hurt us. This officer walked into his apartment and uh, the the brother of this guy and, and shot his brother and got 10 years, Dallas police officer, and and he's declaring, I forgive you. I don't want, I don't want harm to happen to you. And that is how we respond to those who do wrong to us. And that's how we respond even to authorities. How do we, how do we live as citizens of heaven, but yet citizens of the United States of America in a way that we honor God, in a way that we honor People and those who who are in places of leadership, and I think this young man just did a, did an excellent job. And praise God for the justice system that God has established to uphold justice, to punish wrongdoers, and to praise those who do what's good and what's right. Peter writes this epistle to a church that was experiencing intense persecution. This church was living in the first century under an emperor named Nero who had Christians killed. He had dogs chase down Christians and kill them. He had them wrapped in candle wax and set a torch to them to light up his garden. So this is who Peter was writing to, people living under these circumstances. We'll go ahead and turn to First Peter 2, and that's what we're going to look at. This morning, we're going to look at what it looks like to live as citizens of heaven and citizens of our country. And in 1 Peter 2, 4, verse 13, he says this. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer 
of your souls. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going this morning from the text is that God calls his people to live in humble submission to earthly authorities, following the example of Jesus so that his name would be honored. God calls us, he calls his people to live in humble submission to earthly authorities, following the example of Jesus so that his name would be honored. Peter calls the people of God to live a life of submission. Now, I know in our culture, that's that's a bad word, not a very popular word, submit or submission. And there's been a lot of abuse to those who do submit to to authorities. And so how do we as Christians, how do we work through that when there is abuse and when 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 there there's authorities that misuse their authority and they do wrong? We'll look at that in a minute. But generally speaking, we as Christians are to live lives of submission. We are to posture ourselves in a uh, posture of humility. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I love, by the way, that Peter gives us theological basis for, for why we do what we do. Peter, in this little epistle, he has over 30 imperatives and commands telling Christians how to live as sojourners, as exiles, as aliens who, who are just passing through. This is not your, your home. Your, your, your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through, right? And, and so he says, be subject though, be subject to every human institution. You would think that, that if, if we're citizens of heaven and this isn't our ultimate home, one might draw the conclusion, well, why do I need to submit to, to, to human institutions and do what, what authorities say? Yet Peter calls Christians as to, to live godly, to do good by honoring and submitting to those who are in authority. And he says here, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. So that God might be honored and his name might be held in high esteem, not blasphemed. You see, in the first century, Nero had blamed Christians for the fires that were set to Rome. He, he himself lit it on fire and, and it was burning to the ground and just a crazy, crazy leader, poor leadership. And he blames it on Christians and Christians get falsely accused for causing all this destruction as if Christianity was some some hostile uh, religion that's trying to revolt against the, the, the governing powers. And Peter says, this is this is how you're to live as Christians. You're to be subject to every human institution. He tells he tells slaves, those who were slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the just. And so what does it mean to, to submit or be subject to? The Greek word is hupotasso. And it means to place under, to, to subordinate, to bring under influence, to be subordinated, to be brought under a state of influence, to submit oneself Render obedience and be submissive. It was a Greek military term meaning to arrange in a military fashion under the commander of a leader. In a non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, 
assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. Now, this isn't too popular in our culture. This isn't too popular as Americans who have rights and have freedom and we can exercise our rights. And, and, and we, I think we should. We should rightfully use our rights. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Peter tells us how to use our freedom. But we should be subject to our leaders. This is one of the things that we should do. God's established human institutions. And the first one that he's established from the beginning of creation is the family. That's your first uh, uh, human institution, your your, your first uh, form of, of authority that children need to, to learn how to obey mom and dad growing up. One of our speakers at the men's retreat yesterday says, you know, we have this real important rule in our house and it's children listen and love or listen and love mommy and daddy. And that's like, that's, that's the big thing that's the, that they herald in the household. Listen and love mommy and daddy. And, and the, the, the rationale behind that, that one rule that they emphasize in the home is that the children, as, as children learn to obey mommy and daddy, they're learning to obey God and submit to God's authority because that's God's first authority that he's established in, in life's institution of family. And then there's, there's government. God's instituted government, and we'll look at what the purpose of that. And then there's church, there's church, uh, churches and church leadership, and and then there's there's other institutions as well. But we're told to submit to every human institution, and he says because for the Lord's sake, he gives us theological basis. We need to know the why behind the what if we're going to continue to do what's right. We, as parents, we try to explain to our children why we do certain things. We want them to know the what, what they need to obey and carry out, but we also want them to know the heart behind what they're doing, the why, why they're doing it. And here, it's for the glory of God, for the Lord's sake, that his name would be honored and commended to outsiders. And verse 15, that they would silence, that Christians would silence the ignorance of foolish people by good conduct, by doing good. Just silence the foolishness, the foolish talk, the slander, the accusations to where they have nothing bad to say about you and I as Christians because we're doing good. Also to follow the example of Jesus, and we'll look at that here shortly. Um, that's one of the reasons why we should submit to those who are in leadership. And also because God will judge justly and because he's sovereign. Peter learned this lesson. Peter was not very inclined to be a submissive person. He was a leader. He he was a strong leader who took initiative. He had questions. He was, he would ask questions. He would ask questions that that others wouldn't ask. He would be bold enough to step up and ask questions. And he was involved. He was in the middle of the action. He wanted to be where, where the action was. And Peter Saul Jesus do some things. So he's writing from experience here. Peter had learned this lesson that he was exhorting the church to do. Be submissive to those who are in leadership. Matthew 17, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher pay, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yeah, yeah, for sure. And when he, when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take a toll or tax? 
from their sons or from others. And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, the sons are free. The sons are free. However, not to give an offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Jesus paid that tax. Wouldn't that be nice if our taxes were paid that easily? All right, Lord, where do you want me to get the tax money from? Okay, we'll go get that, catch that fish. Yeah. Jesus, here in this, this, this snippet in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the sovereign Lord who's sovereign over all creation who knew there was a, a coin in this fish that Peter would catch. We see his sovereignty and authority, yet we see his humble submission. And he tells Peter, go catch this fish, pay the tax for, for you, for me. And Jesus wasn't doing it because he had to. He carries authority over the human institutions, yet he became a man and he humbly submitted himself to the human institutions. He submitted himself to his parents. His mom and dad, even though he was smarter and could do everything better than them. You know, he could have been like, mom, um, you know, I can like, like multiply that bread right there. You don't have to cook that. Uh, or, or dad, here, let me, let me just speak this, uh, this, this, this thing into existence that you're trying to build over there, right? Uh, he could have did everything better and, 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 and yet he submitted to the, he was wiser and smarter. And yet he submitted to earthly parents. He, he, he became a man and, 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 and I love, you know, in the gospel of John in, 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 uh, John chapter two, his mom tells, tells him when he performs the first miracle, do whatever he says, you know, like he can, he can do something about this, like do whatever he says. And Jesus showed up and did, did a miracle. Jesus submitted to earthly institution by paying taxes. Peter calls us to do the same. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, whose likeness is on the inscription, on this inscription? They were trying to trap him, saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because, you know, Caesar, you know, he uses that tax money for some really bad things. So, like, as as a godly, righteous Jew, is it right to pay tax? Should we do it? What are you going to say? And Jesus just responded wisely like he always does. He said, whose likeness is in the inscription on this? They said Caesar's and he said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God profound. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. So Jesus taught his followers to pay taxes. Peter gives us a purpose statement in verse 14 of the government of one of the functions of the government. He says governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Here's a quote from Robert Cook. He says, Peter reminded his readers that government has a valid and necessary God-appointed purpose. The presence of political corruption should not blind us to the legit role of government that God has ordained. A couple of other quotes. Uh, Chuck Colson in his book, God and Government, says that the state was instituted by God to restrain sin and promote a just social order. He quotes um, this guy, Jay Marcellus. The state was instituted to promote the good of the community and temporal concerns, the protection of life, the property and the preservation of peace 
in order. You and I can peacefully enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning. We could write, make literature, make music, make children, families, have babies, and raise up your kids in a with, with peace because God has established some order in a government to protect us from from harm, to punish those who do evil, and to protect life and and property and the preserves is designed by God to preserve peace and order. Paul says in Romans 13, he has a lot to say here about about this very thing. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you you will receive approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for, for the sake of conscience. For because of this. You also must pay taxes for authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So Paul makes this profound statement that all authority comes from God. Every authority that that we have is established by God. I don't know about you, but that's just difficult to to swallow because there are some some ungodly authorities that are uh, in place that we've seen throughout history. And so what do we do about that? I mean, again, Peter's writing to a church who's living under Nero, an ungodly emperor in the first century that was doing some terrible things to Christians and falsely accusing them. And I think a key for us to, to do this is to recognize the sovereignty of God that ultimately he is sovereign and he has the highest authority and he can bring leaders up and he can put leaders down who do evil and injustice and he says he will he will execute justice and righteousness for those who are oppressed god loves justice and righteousness and i think we have an obligation as the church to to advocate what's just and what's right by speaking out what God's commands are what God's moral standard standards are like speaking out for life that little babies would not be, that their lives wouldn't be taken in the womb. Speaking out for injustices in our land when African Americans pulled over by police officers and their life is taken wrongfully. We should say something about that. When there's injustices like this in our land, I know we have children present, so I want to be careful here. here here's a question. Is it ever appropriate to disobey those authorities? Though all authority is established by God and he set it up, to preserve life and preserve peace and order and so that you and I can enjoy. And we're told in 1 Timothy to pray for kings and leaders and all who are in authority so that you may live a quiet and peaceful life. Okay? So we have a responsibility to pray for them, uh, submit to the leadership. But is it ever appropriate for you and I not to obey, to disobey our authorities? Um, Peter Actually, the one who wrote this same epistle that we're preaching, that I'm preaching from in Acts, 
he did disobey the authorities. And this is what he, they, they told him, don't talk about Jesus. You've got to stop talking about Jesus. Like Jerusalem's, like people are coming to Jesus. In Acts 2, like what, 3,000 people got saved. Like there's this huge movement. Jesus made this huge impact. And the kingdom of God's just spreading like wildfire. And these religious Jewish leaders are like, we got to get control of this. This is like a wildfire that we can't stop. So they go to the leaders and they're like, stop talking about Jesus. And they threaten them. So they called, they, they called them and they charged them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. He said, whether, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than the God you judge, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then Acts uh, 5, they, they did get beaten. They got lashes on their back. For, for continuing to speak about Jesus and preach about Jesus. And they went away rejoicing. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, they, they got beat. They were probably in pain. And they're just happy. Like, And they're happy because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. For his namesake. Uh, Acts 5.29, he, Peter and the apostles answered. They said, we must obey God rather than man. So when is it appropriate for you and I to disobey those who who are in authority. Here's a quote. It says it well. Christians should practice civil disobedience only when the government requires its citizens to disobey God, not when it only permits them to disobey him. Currently in the United States, government permits abortion, for an example, but it does not require it. Okay? Abortion's wrong. So if we're, if we're told to stop talking about Jesus, stop being a Christian, you gotta, you gotta convert, you gotta bow down to the president or this idol or whatever. You know, back, back in the book of Daniel, we're gonna have to do what, what those three guys did, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not gonna bow to the idols of this land, throw us into the fire. We know God can save us, and He will, but, but even if He doesn't, uh, we know that God is able to save us, but even if He doesn't, we're not gonna bow. To that idol. And, and, and so we should honor, be honorable and respectful, but also be, be submissive. I mean, this gets in the practical stuff like, uh, like driving the speed limit. I mean, I've been thinking about this. I mean, even yesterday as I was driving over the speed limit on my way back from the, uh, men's retreat, I started to slow down a little bit. And I was like, what is the speed limit? Uh, it helps if we actually look and, and just observe what the speed limit is. But there's little things like that. Obey traffic signs, right? You know, uh, just protect yourself from getting in a crash. Um, they're there for a reason to protect life and, and have a sense of peace and order. If you've ever been to third world country like in India, they don't have like, I don't think they have any laws regarding the traffic. They're just all over, uh, you know, and there are a lot of fatalities because of that. I mean, yeah, you can get around real quick and stuff, but you, you might get killed if you go driving there uh, in the little rickshaw. So that's when Christians should disobey the authorities, when they tell us to directly disobey God, when they directly go against the commands of God, taking a life, being dishonest, taking what's not yours, worshiping an idol, the Ten Commandments, committing immorality. Peter also instructs the Christians to live in freedom. Verse 16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as the cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He tells us 
how to live as citizens. He says, live as free people because that's what you are. You've been made free. But don't use your freedom as an excuse or a cover-up to just do wrong, to cheat on your taxes, to do lots of bad things that you might be able to get away with. Uh, like like an abortion in our land, you can get away with abortion. Don't don't do that. Have this mindset that you're uh, servants of God, that you're you're going to serve God and you're going to serve people. Paul in Galatians five fourteen he says, "For you are called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another." I love this quote here. Liberty misused is like a mighty river. Flooding its banks, bringing terrible destruction upon its path. Liberty used as service is like a mighty river flowing within its banks, bringing life and refreshment to all who drink of its waters. We're called to use our freedom, not to just do whatever we want, but to do what's right in God's sight. So live in freedom, live honorably. Honor everyone, he says. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, that's that's a weighty statement. Again, if, if you know who the emperor was there, Nero, at this time, I'm sure many Christians would have a hard time honoring that emperor and not slandering him every time they hear about him and not just uh, rising up in bitterness and anger and seething with revenge because of what happened to maybe family members or friends. We're called to live honorable lives. That is, we're to to live in a way that is commendable before men, but we're also called to give honor to other people. Even when the those in leadership are living dishonorably, we don't give them honor or because their their actions have earned it, but because they have the position of leadership. That we should honor, we should respect. We're told, we're told, children are told to honor your father and mother. There are, there are kids that have a hard time doing that because mom and dad are not living an honorable life. Maybe a life of drug addiction or dishonesty and just, just, just unhealth, just brokenness and they've been hurt by their parents. Yet, yet kids who have parents like that should honor their parents, not because their parents are honorable if they're, if they're not living honorably. But because God says it and they hold a position of authority in their lives. And God promises a blessing. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land that the Lord your God has given you. Peter in 1 Peter 2.12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let people see with your actions how honorably you're living by doing good. And by doing that, you'll silence the ignorance of foolish people. And you'll help people see God's goodness. You'll help people see the gospel being lived out. A life that's been changed by the good words of the gospel. Okay, When we have the good words of the gospel married and coupled with the good deeds of a, a godly life living honorably, we have a powerful witness to the outsiders, to the world around us. God calls us to live honorably. And here, Peter gives us some theological basis for this. He, verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered 
for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live the righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the theological basis and the reason why Christians should live in this posture of posture of humility and and humble submission to uh, earthly authorities is because Christ did it. Christ gave us an example and he submitted even even to, to, to go into the cross, even to suffer and to die for us. Peter struggled with this, by the way. Peter didn't really like the plan of God. When, when he heard about, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be resurrected. Like something didn't click with Peter at, at that point where. Uh, and, he, and he chimes in and he says, no, you're not going to go to the cross. Don't do it. Right. And, and Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Like he re, he rebukes him in that moment. So Peter learned from the example of Jesus. He had been with Jesus. Jesus had impacted and influenced his life. And he's writing this, having walked with somebody who carried all authority. And yet he's submitting himself to earthly authorities. Look at what Jesus said in John 18.10. He said in John 18.10, they went to arrest Jesus and Peter didn't like it because he he had, he had a struggle with submitting, right? Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut his right ear off. And the servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Notice Jesus's perspective. This is the father's plan. This is what the father's calling me to do. And Jesus humbly submitted himself. And it wasn't because he was weak at all. Actually, he could have called in another gospel. He said, I can call legions of angels right now. To come and fight. This isn't, the plan isn't to fight physically and, 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 and take lives. The plan is for me to give my life for the sins of the world. That people might be saved and rescued. Peter's brought before Pilate in John 19. And Jesus told him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. Jesus has this perspective that God the Father has given Pilate authority to have him delivered over and crucified. Okay, the sovereignty of God. This too will help us when we have this perspective. When we have this perspective that ultimately God is in charge. And he is a just judge and vengeance belongs to him. He will repay. We don't have to repay. We don't have to pull our swords out and start cutting people up. Jesus graciously performed a miracle there after this dude got his, his ear cut off and he put it back on for him. He, he showed gentleness. He showed compassion. He showed this is what he came to do, not destroy life, but to save life. Not to hurt, but to heal. Peter says in verse 23, he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Reviling is using abusive language. 
using abusive language. They were mocking him. They were saying hurtful things to him. They were not only hurting him and his body, but they were saying words that were hurtful to him as well. There's a lot of that that goes on in our American culture. Slander, reviling. God says no reviler will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a serious thing. When you verbally assault somebody with your words and you diminish with your words the value of somebody who's been made in the image of God. It's a serious thing. God will punish those who live like that. But Jesus didn't revile. He he could have just blasted those guys. He could have just with one word could have taken them out. And he didn't. He yielded that 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 strength that he had when he was arrested He humbly submitted to the Roman authorities because the father had planned for this to take place. The submission of Jesus that was exhibited was not a sign of weakness, but rather a display of strength and humility. When I'm talking about submission here, many, especially guys, you know, you may you may feel like that's what weak people do. You submit when you can't take somebody else on. Right. When, when you're just weaker than somebody, but if you're stronger than somebody else, you don't have to submit to them. That's the mindset of a lot of, a lot of people. And, and yet Jesus had the strength and had the power, but he also had this humility where he yielded that strength to the Father to do the Father's will. And that's what we have to do as well if we're going to live lives of submission. Submission is, is something that God calls every Christian to. Not just wives, so we'll see in next week in our first Peter chapter three that wives are to be subject to their husbands and Paul says the same thing. But it's not just something for wives. It's not just something for those who are slaves or those who are employers. Uh, it's for every single Christian. Paul says in, in Ephesians five that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Living a life of submission is what God calls us to do. Submitting and entrusting our life to him who holds it. Trusting that he will protect us and trusting that he will get justice. Peter learned this lesson at the end of his life. History tells us church history tells us that he too and Jesus predicted that he was going to be killed. And and. And he was. And Clement says that not only was, was Peter killed like Jesus was on a cross, but he was also forced to watch his wife experience the same thing. And when he did, it's, it was said that he told her as she was going by, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And he watched that. And then he pleaded that he be crucified upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy to be crucified like his Lord. And so he went through that. He learned the lesson of submission. He submitted to what God had for him. And that was dying a death that would glorify Jesus. The scripture says he not only set an example for us to follow, but verse 24, he bore our sins in his body. On the tree. Jesus gave us a godly example of laying down his life, but also he did something for you and I that nobody else can do, regardless of how great their example is. He bore our sins on the cross. As a father, I've tried to lead a good example to my children. And recently, my, my son 
has received Jesus as his Lord and his Savior because of God's grace working in his life. And I, I have the privilege and the opportunity to leave a, an example for him of how to follow Jesus. I can tell him and I can live like Jesus with my actions and show him. But there's one thing I can't do, and that's verse 24 here. Bear the sins of my son. The, be, be the perfect sacrifice for those sins. But Jesus could do that because he was the sinless son of God who came and lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross for you and me so that we might die to sin and so that you and I might live to righteousness. This is what baptism is a uh, display of, of you and I identifying ourselves with Jesus in his death, his burial and his resurrection and us living in the newness of life, living godly lives as a response to his saving work in our lives. It says, but by his wounds, you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd of your souls. Perhaps there's somebody here today that needs to come to Jesus and surrender to him and trust him as the one who bore your sins on the cross. Not only set an example for you, but as the one who took the payment for your sins, the wages of sin that is death that he took upon his body for you. You can receive what he's done for you today. By faith, by coming to him in faith, humbling yourself. I've got three ways that we can apply this. One is to recognize that God is in charge and all authority comes from him. This will help us. This will enable us to submit when it's hard, when, when it's difficult, when we have leaders that seem to be living dishonorable lives. We can trust that God is ultimately in charge, that he'll judge righteously, that he will execute vengeance and then we're to remember and pray for our leaders trusting that god will grant you a peaceful life under their leadership we're to pray for them we're to ask god to bless them ask god to give them wisdom and guidance ask god to grant them repentance ask ask god to lead them into his will for their lives and that's for for the sake of us experiencing a life of peace under their leadership and we're to respect everyone. We're to give value and respect to everyone. Honor all people. Fear God. Love the brotherhood. Because those around us have been made in the image of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is easier said than done. And we have seen many people, many authorities abuse authority. But God, we trust you that you are in charge. And we trust that your word is good and true and right. And is that your word reveals your will for our lives. And we pray that your will would be done in our lives, that we would live in a life of humble submission to you and to those you've placed in authority in our lives. Pray for our witness 
the effectiveness of our witness to grow. Um, that we would be effective witnesses to outsiders, those who don't know you. That just just like we saw in this video, Botham's Jean's brother who forgave and extended mercy and grace. God, may we do the same. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.